Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Lots of stuff going on in technology, and it all seems to be with uh, cybercrime. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency wallets are getting under attack, and they one vendor had to do something to protect his clients. Um, we have here that uh, we have SIM swapping is on the rise in order to steal cryptocurrency. Worldwide worms <laughs> and their distribution on the Internet are on the rise Sounds pretty dramatically. And, and disgusting. And Google finally admitted that there was a pre-installed backdoor on many Andrew devices. Now, this week we're going to be featuring... Mark Pincus, he's the uh, best known as uh, the founder of Zynga, and Zynga made that very popular Facebook game Farmville that mm-hmm. just hooked people, and he's actually started three or four companies, kind of an interesting guy. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Look we, at that. That's perfect. We got an email from John in Houston. Dear Tech Talk, I've been thinking about creating a Linux installation media, either on DVD or USB flash drives on my home computer and then selling them on eBay. My question is, can I legally do that without getting kind of legal troubles? I see other sellers are doing it, but I don't want to get caught with some kind of sting. John in Houston. Well, the answer to your question, John, is uh, is uh, that it's uh, it's actually legal to sell free software, that's distributed under the GNU public license, called GPL for short. And in fact, that includes all of the Linux distros, distros short for distributions. Companies like Red Hat have built a profitable business by doing just that. All the popular Linux distributions or distros can be downloaded from the web for free by anyone with a computer. Now that might make it selling that might make selling them kind of tough because anybody can just get it for free. So you've got to add something of value. To the product line, that's that's what Red Hat does. They add something of value to the product line. They they provide support. They've got the drivers embedded in it, so you could you could provide uh, support. You could uh, help them get the drivers in order to do it. So they have something other than just a distribution. And then you probably could sell this on eBay, and you're certainly not breaking any rules. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hello again, Doctor Shirts. I always thought you had to make an Ethernet connection to your router to change the Wi-Fi password. Is that no longer the case? That's why I asked how to connect a tablet to the router with an Ethernet cable, not so that I could surf the web. That We had a letter from Susan a while ago. She wanted to hook her iPad to the router by Ethernet. I couldn't figure out why. Uh, now I understand what she's trying to do. I appreciate your advice on what's required. Thanks for Tech Talk. It's always interesting. Susan and Alexandria. Well, Susan, you can configure everything on your router without connecting 
to the Ethernet cable. You can do it, you know, you can just do it uh, via the uh, once once you, you can just do it via Wi-Fi, but you've got to basically set it up. And so the initial setup, because there is no Wi-Fi configured, you've got to hook it to an Ethernet cable because you can't attach it by Wi-Fi if no Wi-Fi has been configured. And then what you can do is once you have uh, connected to Wi-Fi and once you've set it once you've set it up with uh, with you know using the Ethernet cable, you can then log back onto the router and you can change everything. You you can change the, uh, the 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 Wi-Fi password. You can change the the login password at will. Now of course if you change the Wi-Fi password uh, and and you reboot the router, you'll have to put that same Wi-Fi password in your in your iPad so it will so it will log on. But once you've once you're connected to the router by Wi-Fi, you can change any of those parameters simply by logging into it. You don't have to go back and use um, use Ethernet. So I hope that hope that helps you with that problem. We got an email from Wendy in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, my daughter helped me get on Facebook so I could talk to her and my grandchildren and share pictures back and forth with them. Now she sent me a lot of pictures last night uh, and posted them to my to post, post them to Facebook. But I'd really like to print them, but I can't figure out how to do it. Could you tell me how to print the photos from Facebook? My computer's Windows 10, Wendy and Fairfax. Well, as you've already discovered, you simply can't right-click on a Facebook photo and print it. That, that option doesn't exist. Fortunately, there's an easy way to print pictures without using any third-party software. Just scroll through your, your Facebook photos till you find a photo you want, and then click on that photo to open up its own page. Right-click on the photo and click Save As. And then save that photo to your desktop. Then right-click on the save photo, and you could select print from the drop-down menu. You could you could print it to your printer right from your, um, you know, right from your uh, computer. And that's not really a problem at all. Or you could, if you want, you could you could go to one of these online print services. You know, I like I use Costco a lot. You you set up an account with an online print service. You can simply upload the pictures to the online print service, and they'll they'll make real prints for you, and then mail them to you. And so, so you, you'll be able to print these, and you'll also have a copy of all the pictures on your computer. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm getting delayed notification on email that I sent. I'm trying to send an email to my coworkers, and I keep getting the following message. Delivery status notification. Delay. This is automatically generated. Uh, you do not need to resend your message. The strange thing is it only happens with a specific email address. What does it mean and why is it happening? Enjoy the show, Lily and Fairfax. Well, Lily, you're, that's part of the protocol, the email protocol. Um, email uses a transfer method called store and forward. When you send an email, it's actually received by a mail server, stored for a period of time, and then forwarded to the next server on a path that ultimately gets to the recipient. And eventually it lands on your recipient's mail server where it's stored until the recipient downloads it or reads it online. Now, the time that the server holds your message before forwarding is typically very short, which is why the email often appears to be nearly instant. But there could be many reasons why there are delays along the path of your recipient. The most likely delay is that the recipient's mail server is temporarily offline. Now, rather than fail to deliver the email, your mail server keeps trying to pass the message along and then it tells you we're trying to deliver the message and then sends you a delayed message delivery. It says we haven't delivered to the final mail server, but you don't have to do anything. It keeps trying for around five days. Then finally it stops, and when it stops trying to send your email, you'll get a failed delivery message. 
Now, if your message is urgent, you might just try giving them a phone call. That could go right through. So that, that, that messaging system is part of the basic email protocol. We got an email from Tong in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm trying to call my friends in Vietnam. I'd like to use a cheap internet connection. What are my options? Love the show, Tong in Ohio. Well, there are a number of voice over IP options. Now, if your friends also have, inter- have internet access with data, the calls are completely free. If they don't have the data connection, you'll have to call them on a landline or their mobile phone connection. Now, there are a number of uh, voice over IP connections. You know, you got Skype. They could either be on your laptop, on your cell phone. The Skype client is free. And if you call another Skype client, there's there's no charge. Now, if you're calling a landline over there because they don't they don't have a data connection, then there would you, there's a Skype out charge, and you just basically load your Skype account with a few dollars, and I and the, and that you basically are charged a few cents a minute on Skype out. Uh, now, I like to use Viber for my uh, my connection. Now, if your friends have um, if your friends have Viber on their phone, the the phone just automatically rings. They don't have to have Viber open, and and if um, if they don't have uh, if they don't have uh, you know, a cell phone or internet connection, and you have to connect to a landline, you can also do that through um, Viber, and that's called Viber Out, as you would expect. And you just have to char- charge your Viber account up with a few dollars, and then you can do the Viber Out. Now, now the the uh, most, ex- the, 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 probably WhatsApp is, is probably the voice over IP application that's used the most in Asia. Everybody uses WhatsApp over there. And that's for, and you can do, Voice over IP calls, you can do video video calls, and that's really popular. So I'm going to suspect that your friends are going to have WhatsApp over there in Vietnam. Now, in my case, I, also I have at home, I've got UMA, which is voice over IP system for the house, and I put about $30 in my prepaid UMA account. So if I call overseas for, with my home phone, it just dials at voice over IP, and I basically get what amounts to like a Skype out rate or a, or a Viber out rate just for my home phone. So I'm I'm always doing voice over IP, no matter what what I have. We got an email from Jim in Michigan, dear Tech Talk. I keep seeing this option to eject my USB drive before removing it. Is that really necessary, or can I just pull it out? Enjoy the show, Jim in Michigan. Well, computers use something called write caching to improve performance. If you copy something to your drive, it will tell you. If you copy something to your drive, it in order to go fast, it copies it to a temporary memory location, and then from that temporary memory location, which is called cache, C-A-C-H-E, which is called cache, it, it, it sends it to, the, to, your, to your thumb drive. And, uh, you know, this, this actually allows, allows you to do a lot of processes and not type your computer doing that right in case the thumb drive is very slow. Now, in the old days, when computers were really slow, um, there could be a delay between when it comes from the memory cache and goes on into RAM. So if you would pull, if you'd pull out the thumb drive before the cache had emptied onto your, onto your thumb drive, you would, you, you would damage your data. So, that's, so what they do is they have this sort of eject notification that says press eject, and, and that makes certain that. All the program, all the program data has been written to the thumb drive, and that you can safely pull it out, and there's nothing in cache. Now it turned out that you know Windows actually changed the way they operated, and they now, they they and now it's almost they now write almost instantly to your thumb drive, and so that's really not a problem now. Windows changed their operating system to get rid of that delay, but still it's 
it's a good idea to eject it, so keep all your data safe. We got an email from Lee in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm having trouble connecting my new Bluetooth speaker to my laptop. Sometimes it works, other times it just won't work. What can I do to get a reliable connection? Love the show, Lee in North Carolina. Well, Bluetooth depends on both hardware and software to work properly. And, and Now, what you can do about pairing failures, first of all, the pairing is when you link the two Bluetooth devices together. Make sure Bluetooth is turned on. It might be turned off in your, uh, in your uh, laptop. Determine, determine which pairing process your device employs. And the pairing... Uh, the, the pairing process varies device to device. Sometimes, um, for example, involves tapping a code into your phone. Other times, you can just physically touch the phone to the device you want to pair it with. Now, in the case of, like, my Bose SoundLink speakers, I have to hold down a button on the speaker to pair it with the phone. And when I hold down the button, it turns on discovery mode, and they can discover each other. Now, once you are in discovery mode and, you know, and it finds your iPhone... Like in the case of a car, if you're connecting to your car and your car system finds your iPhone, there will be a little numeric code that you have to confirm, confirm to finish the link. You know, now, if, the, if, that, if none of that works, make certain the two devices are close enough to each other so that – because Bluetooth is only good for about 20 feet or so. Yeah. And now, if that still doesn't work, what it always works best, just turn off both devices and turn, turn them back on again and re – and re, you know, and and reinitialize everything. That's always that's always a good thing to do. Now, also, turn off any likely interferers. You see, it could be that somebody else's device is getting in there and connecting to the speaker first, and your speaker can only connect to one device at a time. So maybe your spouse's device, so iPhone or mobile phone, is connecting to the speaker, mm-hmm. and once it's and once it's connected to, to that other phone, you can't connect. So anything that could possibly be interfering with it, just turn that off. Now, now the last thing you could do is you could just delete the device from the phone and then rediscover it, you know, if, if you're not linking to. So you just, uh, just delete, delete the connection from the phone and then and let, it, and let it be rediscovered. So that would be a way to – so these are all different techniques that, that I've tried over the years, and they, uh, one of them always works. Now, also, if you're too close to your Wi-Fi router, that can interfere with, with Bluetooth. So you, you don't want any big heavy-duty – interference in the same in the same frequency band as bluetooth now um, you know also it could be a driver problem if you, if you can't get linkage so you want to download the latest device drivers and then make certain that you've got the latest device the device drivers on both uh, on both on both both sides so i hope that's going to help you get a reliable connection to your bluetooth speaker listen we love your emails we do indeed email us at tech talk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can it is saturday morning and you're listening to tech talk radio heard every saturday at nine on federal news radio part of the federal news network 1500 a.m 1035 fm hd2 1039 fm hd2 on the web at stratford.edu watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Mark Jonathan Pincus. Mark Pincus is an entrepreneur best known as founder of Zynga. It's a mobile social media gaming company. Zynga's most popular game is Farmville, which, as we all know, is extremely addictive. Did you ever play that? No, but I had, I couldn't get into it. I had friends that played it, and they just got hooked on it. Mm-hmm. Pincus was born February 13, 1966, in Chicago, and he graduated from the uh, in 1984 from the Francis W. Parker School, graduated from the 12th grade. In 1988, he got a bachelor's degree in economics from the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania. And after graduating from, uh, uh, from uh, Wharton with his BS in economics, he spent two years working as an analyst in the new media group of, a, of an investment firm. He then moved to Hong Kong, where he served as VP for Asian Capital Partners for two years. So after, you know, doing a gig there on... Um, you know, in the in, in the venture capital area, he moved back to the U.S. and went to Harvard to earn his MBA. And he received that MBA in 1993. After graduating from Harvard with an MBA, he took a job as manager of corporate development at Telecommunications Inc., which is now AT&T Cable. In 1994, he joined Columbia Capital as VP, where he led investments in new media and software startups in the D.C. area. Then he was finally ready to start his own company. So in 1995, Pincus founded his first startup, Freeloader, Inc. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> yeah. The company was acquired seven months later after its launch by Individual.Inc. for $38 million. That's not bad. No. For just seven months' work. He then started the second company, Support.com, in August 1977. As chairman and CEO, Pincus built the company to a leading provider of help desk automation software. He took that company public in July of 2000. Wow, that was right, just right around the big IT bust, around 2000. Mm-hmm. And he, he got a $1.5 billion valuation. It's not bad. That was after three years. So he, he's making a little bit of money along the way here. In 2002, the company changed its name from Support.com to SupportSoft, Inc. In 2003, at age 37, Pincus founded his third startup, Tribe.net, it was an early social networking thing. 
And um, you could basically surf the web together and, and chat with each other on Tribe.net. In 2007, Cisco Systems acquired the core technology of Tribe.net to develop a social networking platform for its digital media services group. So he's, he's really been three for three. All three of his companies actually either went public or were sold. Pretty good record. Now, then he had a fair amount of money, you know, accumulated by that time, and he became a founding investor in these other, a founding investor in Napster, a founding investor in Facebook, a founding investor in Friendster, a founding investor in Snapchat, a founding investor in Show Me, and a founding investor in Twitter. So these are all successful companies that eventually went public, so he made a boatload of money on those investments. In July of 2007, Pincus founded his fourth company, Zynga. Now, Zynga developed games that sat on top of social networks. They sat on top of Facebook, on top of MySpace, or on top of Bebo. Now, more than one billion people have played Zynga's games across the web and on mobile. And the games included Farmville, Zynga Poker, Words with Friends, and uh, Slots and CSR. Now, you might wonder... Where the word, where the name Zynga I came from? I was going from. to ask you, Doc. Where does the name Zynga come okay. from? Okay, the network was named after Pincus's bulldog, whose name was Zynga. Okay, but still, where does Zynga come from? What, what? I, I, I wonder why he named his dog that. Well, now I don't know that. That. <laughs> well, maybe we should call him up. Is you, he on the Facebook? You should, you should, you should check that up. But All his, right, but his dog's working name. On it. So it was named after Zynga, it was after his dog Zynga, but Zynga was actually, his dog was Z-I-N-G-A. Ah, Not, and, and as opposed to B-I-N-G-O. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Zynga, the company is Z-Y-N-G-A. Yes, so, it is. So you can check out where Zynga came from when he named his bulldog. I am efforting I that now. I have no idea, I tell you. It's... Uh, it uh, that's that's a Don't very mind good me that's a very, no here. that's a very good question and you just you just you know you just pull up our crack research put the, put take our crack research department and put them to work on that okay now in 2011 oh think, okay so did you say the dog was a bulldog right yeah uh huh okay so the bulldog's in the logo oh the bulldog is in their logo too yes it's like it's a just a white outline of a generic bulldog okay. not that particular bulldog okay. So we're looking. You keep okay, going. I'm gonna I'll see keep if going. I can find out where this comes so in from. So in 2011, he took the, the company public, and it, got a, it was a $1 billion IPO. So he's got four for four. Two were purchased, and two went public. Now, Pincus served as CEO from 2007 to 2013. He remained actively involved with the company as chairman of the board and chief product officer. Uh, he stepped down in 2013 to bring in someone else. Then he came back as CEO shortly. Then he stepped out again and brought in someone else because, you see— um, Zynga is really not making money these days, and so they're, they're they're trying to find out how to tackle the game market and make money. And so I I think they're they're just trying to come up with new and new products. So they're actually not making money, but but he got his money out when he, you know, when he when when they got the uh, the seat, you know, when they issued the IPO. In 2014, Pincus started another company, Super Labs, which was an incubator to fund startups. And Zynga actually bought Superlabs in 2015. In 2017, Pincus, along with Reed Hoffman who, who, uh, and, and Adam Warbach, launched something called Win the Future. It's a movement within the Democratic Party because, you know, he's, out, he's a California guy, so he's a big dem. 
Pincus is a member of the board of the Presidio Trust. That's a federal agency that maintains the Presidio, which is part of the Golden Gate Bridge Recreation Area, which is a nice area. So there you go. Everything you wanted to know about Mark Jonathan Pincus, best known as founder of Zynga. I'll bet you 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 wouldn't have guessed that I figured this out. Okay, tell okay. me. Yes. The word Zynga roughly means turn swiftly in Swahili. Okay. Mark Pincus was impressed by this word and named his dog and company later after it. And apparently it's, it also says the people at Zynga must really like uh, dogs because the Wi-Fi in their building is named PuppyNet. PuppyNet. <laughs> so Zynga means move. Oops, sorry. So Zynga means like. Move, turn swiftly. Turn oh, swiftly. It's a, that's a good name for a startup guy. That is a good name yeah. for a startup guy. Yep. Very good. And I hope you were listening very carefully because you can take something that we just talked about and turn it into free lunch. We're going to play the pop quiz coming up next here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you. Please be please be seated. You're being well behaved this morning. Oh, yeah, please be seated, yes. Did you notice that it's uh, Bring Your Puppy to Tech Talk Day? Oh, because yeah. there's all kinds of... Uh, there's. There's a bulldog over there. Because we yeah. suppose we featured Zynga this exactly week. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is not simply a radio show. This no. is a classroom of the airways. Yes. And what we're going to do to see whether you've been listening is to give a little pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining in one of our dining rooms. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. What if they haven't been listening? Uh, they could guess. 
Oh, but there's, it, but there's no penalty. There's no penalty. We won't no. come to your house and flag no, there your car. No, if you get the wrong answer, no. there is is absolutely no penalty. Okay. Now, uh, a cryptocurrency wallet developer actually hacked himself. Komodo is a developer, is a startup known for its work in cryptocurrency, and it created a Gamma cryptocurrency wait a minute. wallet. Wait, wait, wait. You moved on to the next. Oh. You didn't ask the question. Oh, my goodness. What is wrong with you? So here's the deal. <laughs> Did somebody I'm, slip something into your Starbucks this morning? Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, I've got, I've got to ask the question. Yes, you do. That's part In of fact, the thing. In fact, I've spent so much time crafting the question over the break, I thought we'd already ask it. Thank you very much, Jim. I'm here. That's why I'm here, Thank Doc. you very much. That's I'm glad I'm there's here. a professional in the room. Early in the show, I talked about Mark Jonathan Pincus. Right. He, of course, is founder of Zynga. Where did the name Zynga come from? If you know the answer to today's question, <laughs> well, aren't you the smart one? Pick up your phone, give us a call, win some free food. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're playing poker on your phone in Canada, stop and use it to give us a call by dialing the wild card line. 877-936-9333. If you're calling from overseas, use the international line. 8779-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Gravitas. Now this we're finally back. There you go. You yes. can talk about that other thing now. Yeah, yeah. Cryptocurrency wallet developer hacked himself. Komodo, developing star is a startup developer. He worked in cri- cryptocurrency also. He created the Agama cryptocurrency wallet. You know, cryptocurrency is just a string of digits. And you have to store them because anybody steals that string of digits, you've lost your money. Mm-hmm. Well, that wallet is dependent on the JavaScript library that's maintained, uh, you know, maintained as an open source product. And a malicious actor tried to take advantage of the open source nature of the code. So a few months ago, an anonymous contributor made a useful update to the library and created a new dependency within the code. Then they waited for that update to be incorporated into the Agama app, once it, which was the wallet. Then once it was incorporated into the Agama app, they made changes to the new dependency to create a backdoor into the app. And that would allow them to steal the cryptocurrency out of the wallet. And they could, you know, when this is done, these guys can steal millions of dollars in minutes. Now, the staff... At Komodo, noticed these changes and realized what was going on, and con- at, uh, and they decided that they better take action. But at this point, the back door was already in place. So if they would merely update the app to close the back door, that may not be enough because anyone who did not get the update before the hacker broke into the wallet would lose their cryptocurrency. So Komodo decided the only solution was to go into the back door and steal the cryptocurrency from their customers before the hacker could. So they hacked their own wallet using the back door, and they recovered $13 million worth of cryptocurrency, and they moved it to a place that the hacker couldn't reach. Then Komodo sent an email to all of their users informing them that they had just raided the wallet and told them where they could come to pick up their cryptocurrency. So... A, a quick, uh, you know, quick action on the part of that developer hacking their own wallet really saved a lot of money. 
Now there've been a you know this there's another problem with us crypto. I mean cryptocurrency you got to be careful with this thing because if you you know you lose it it's gone and you and you can't trace who took it. There's something called sim swapping and it is on the rise. It's also it's also called sim jacking. It it it's it's a way to take over an account. What they do they use social networking and they convince the phone company that they're that that they've lost that they've lost their phone and that and that they, um, or that they've gotten a new phone, and they need their phone number transferred to the new phone, to the SIM card in the new phone. And now the phone companies are supposed to be very careful about this, but sometimes these social networking guys are pretty good, and they'll get some enough information to sort of fake the identity. Maybe they'll get their address, their other things about them personally, and they can verify that they're that person. If they can convince the phone company that they're really that person, they will transfer. They will transfer the number to a new SIM card. And then it turns out then that these um, many of these accounts that you try to hack into have two-factor authentication. So then the two-factor authentication com- comes back to the other cell phone, and boom, they can get in it. So there have been a lot of cryptocurrency hacks using this SIM jacking, and, th- and it is on the uptake. So Especially in this li- in the last um, last part of May 2019, it was really on the uptick. So, be aware of that and okay. be careful with your cryptocurrency. It's time for the most dangerous oh, yes. part of the show. Oh yes, this is where we figure out if the phones actually work. All right, let's go to line number one. This is Lewis calling us from Rockville. Lewis, are you there? Yes, sir. All okay, right, look yeah. at that. Woohoo. Okay. Lewis, you have no idea. The uh, phones actually the, work. The, the phones actually are working. It's amazing. It is. All right, Dr. Yeah, Schertz, ask the question, please. Yeah, earlier in the show, we talked about Mark Pincus, founder of Zynga. Where did the name Zynga come from? From his dog's name. That, that is, correct. is correct. We Bulldog. Have yeah. Bulldog. We get extra points there. Hang on Thank a second. You. Hang on a second there. Thank We're going to send you back to, you're welcome. Uh, we're going to send you back over to Andrew. He will take your information, and we will send out the prize to Lewis in Rockville. It's Saturday morning. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, and 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. It's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Apple had their Worldwide Developers Conference this week, and they made all sorts of new announcements. Let's, let's look at some of the things that, uh, that they discussed there. They actually... Uh, they actually are expanding their movement and emphasis on privacy. Privacy was a major theme there. They're trying to differentiate themselves from, say, Facebook that sells your personal data to make money or Google that sells your personal data to make money. They say, no, we make money on hardware and we protect your personal data. So they're, they're making that as a major, a major push. In iOS 13... Apple will let you grant permissions uh, just once and then notify you if somebody's going to track your location. So you might, for instance, have an app and you just want to let them track your location one time and you could do that. Or if you let them track your location all the time, whenever they are tracking your location, Apple will notify you that this app is tracking your location. And... uh, they all, the companies also will prevent apps from tracking your location through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi because they can also do that, and they're, and they're going to block apps, that ability in apps, because they don't like these apps that track your location and then just sell it. They also introduced a new sign-in with Apple feature, which they, which they, th- which they said is going to, if you use that, it's going to be better for you. You know, you know many times you'll, you go to a new site, and instead of making a username and password, they could say, sign in with Facebook. Or sign in with Google, and it's just well, it's just easier. You just click on Google, and and you'll and you'll and you'll sign in with your normal Google credentials. If you're already signed into Google, it'll grow right in there. Or you're already logged into Facebook on your on your iPhone or on your computer. You just click on login with Facebook, and boom, you're in. It's almost no work to create a new account. But here's the downside: that login allows Google and Facebook to track everything you do on that additional site and they're gathering even more data on it so actually you're giving up a lot by trying by logging in with that other item now what apple says is if you do sign in with apple they're not going to track you they're going to keep it private so they're saying our sign in with apple option is much better now of course apple also says that if there are any uh apps on the ios system on the in the iphone system any third-party apps they will have to support the sign-in with Apple option. So that's, again, a move into privacy. Now, I don't, as a, as a rule, I don't ever sign in with another app. Mm-hmm. I, I put in my email address. I put in my email address, and I, then I cr- create a new password. I never use that sign-in feature because it's just a bad idea. They also laid out all the new features of the operating systems like WatchOS, the Mac operating system, and all of these have been fine-tuned and updated to protect your privacy. Oh, there's a big news here about the iPad. They created an operating system for the iPad called iPad OS. And now this actually makes the iPad more like a computer. I mean, it actually has a file system. It will support uh, a mouse. It will, um, it will actually have all the elements that a, a regular computer, it, it, it of course will support a keyboard. And so it has all the features that are needed to have a full-blown computer working. 
uh, with it. So I think they're they're trying to make iPad as a as as basically a laptop replacement. And so they're also splitting iTunes up into three pieces. You know, they've got they've got uh, they bring it up into music, TV, and podcasts. And so iTunes on the in the in the iPhone on the Mac operating system is being broken up. You remember iTunes came out originally when Steve Jobs allowed you to buy music one track at a time. Mm-hmm. Now, and he said, who'd, who would ever want to rent a streaming service? He said, you want to own your own music. Well, those days are gone. It's a pain in the neck to, you know, to buy this music and then port it around here and there and manage it. So people just actually just want to stream the music. They, they don't want to mess around with buying individual tracks and getting their own playlists set up. And so so the original iTunes concept is really gone, and so it, it made sense for Apple to, you know, to split it into music, TV, and podcasts. Now, now the uh, iTunes for Windows is unchanged, so there's still iTunes on Windows, but that'll probably be going away soon. They also came out with a big, uh, powerful Mac Pro. It, I mean, it, it actually looks like a, it, it looks like a cheese grater if you look at it. It's got this funny grid, grid on, grill on it all the way around. It looks like a cheese grater. But it is powerful. It's got a Xeon pro- processor. It's got, a, with max configuration, you can have 24 cores in the processor, and you can have up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM. It is a powerful machine. But the starting price is $6,000. So it's expensive. And, of course, they sell just this beautiful monitor to go with it. But the monitor is $5,000. Oh, my gosh. So this is, like, really a super high-end system for people that are into high-end graphics, the normal user would not be interested no. in this expensive machine. Now, the iOS 13 is also going to save battery life. This is another thing they said. You know, if, if you charge your iPhone to, to 100, if you charge your battery to 100% all the time, it it damages the life. So you'd really you really want your battery for longer life to save between 40% and 80% charge. So now what 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 happens is that um, is that when you put it on charge, the new charger or the new iOS 13 is only going to charge your battery up to the 80% point, and that should help with your your battery life. So this um, this uh, let's let's go a little bit more about what all the things the iPad acting as a real computer, what they're going to have on mm-hmm. it. It's going to be um, it's 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 all based on the iOS 13 operating system uh, there, and the and it's going to have all it's going to have the mouse. The it's going to have a it'll actually have USB. You'll be able to add an. It, It'll have a USB support, you know, possibly through. Uh, it'll also support an external hard drive, so it's going to be it's going to be just like a um, a PC. That's pretty cool. I think that's a really a good idea. You know, because well, you're going to pay for it. Well, no the the iOS 13 is just it's in the new operating system. So if oh, you, so if you can you, just download so, it to your new. So if if you've already got an iPad, this is going to upgrade your iPad to almost like well, a computer. Well, here's a problem. I have a very old iPad. It may not accept. I I think I've maxed out at uh, yeah. operating system eight. Yeah, it it it'll probably. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think you're going to have to get a new iPad That's... really. But the nice thing is, then it's got a file system on it. You know the problem with the iPad, you, you don't know where the files are stored, yeah, you don't know right. the name of the file, you don't know where it is, it's all hidden. Now there's a file system so you can go to the subdirectory to see where the files are, just like having a real computer. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of, I actually may may get an iPad now that they got that iPad operating system. Because it seems like a lot more useful to me. Huh. Listen, uh, let's take a break right now. Yeah, let's do that. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. let's take a break. Yeah. And it is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on... Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1039 FM HD2, and on the web 
at stratford.edu. That's where you can learn about all the great programs at Stratford University. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I like to occasionally talk about VPNs, virtual private networks, because I'm telling you, public Wi-Fi connections are really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I could sit in a in a public Wi-Fi without you know without password protection, and I could download a uh, program on my computer, and I could basically grab usernames and passwords as people log on to websites in a snap. I could do that. I could get username and password if they if they log on to email accounts unless it's uh, unless it's secured with some kind of encryption like through HTTPS. So you are extremely vulnerable to sniffing, as they say, sniffing the <laughs> network if you if you have unencrypted data stream. And so this is particularly true in, in high-end hotels because what happens is people in high-end hotels, uh, I mean, they know that these guys are probably wealthy, maybe executives at a company, and so they basically try to see what's going on in their computer and mm-hmm. try to get into their computer and see what's going on. And so, it's, um, so even if you're on a hotel network and just in your room by yourself, you could be vulnerable. So you've got to be very careful. So what I do, I use a VPN, a virtual private network, and, and essentially that connects to a server, a proxy server, and it sets up an encrypted data stream between my device and that proxy server. And then from that proxy server, my my request for a particular website or wherever I'm going on the Internet you know, would originate. So that does two things. It means that the connection, the Wi-Fi data, that I have coming from my phone or my computer is encrypted. So nobody, anybody who's sniffing the network is not going to be able to see it. You've got another advantage in that sense. You're going to a proxy server, which is making all your web, web requests. You sort of have a degree of being anonymous because people don't exactly know where you are. All of your requests come from that uh, proxy server. They don't come from your IP address. So it gives you some degree of being anonymous on the internet as you surf around. So you've got this, the advantage of uh, 
anonymity with the VPN plus safety with the encryption. Now, my go-to VPN is ExpressVPN. I love it. It's about $100 a year, and mm -hmm. I, can, I can put it on three or four devices. And there are, there are a number of really good VPN programs out there, but I like ExpressVPN because... You know, if I'm watching a movie through an ExpressVPN, it just phew, comes right through because they, they, their servers are really good. And using the ExpressVPN, I can fre frequently watch, watch content when I'm traveling around the world because they think I'm still in New York because that's where the proxy server uh -huh. is. That's very convenient. Now, Russia says that it's going to start blocking major VPNs because, you see, Russia just doesn't like the fact <laughs> that they can't track you. <laughs> and if you use a VPN and you're in Russia, boom, they don't know they don't know what you're up to. They can't track you, they can't look at your data, and so they don't like it. And so they're going to start blocking uh, four major VPNs, NordVPN, which is a very good VPN. They're going to block in Russia ExpressVPN. They're going to they're going to uh, block IPVanish. And then they've got another one here, hide my something, ASS. Ah! <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to say, Jim. <laughs> I think other radio shows get away with that. They do. Especially if you're talking about somebody riding into town on Major Feast Day, you can get away with that. Exactly. So mm -hmm. so that would be hide my ass. Which, and, of course, <laughs> we're getting at the anonymous features of that. Those are format. Yes. What they did back in March, they told the major VPN providers – <laughs> that they actually have to blacklist the country's national blacklisting site. They, they have to blacklist any websites that have been blacklisted by the Russian government because the Russian government doesn't know who you're looking at, and you can go to a blacklisted site when you're, when you're there. And so it turned out that these VPN providers just refused to play ball with Russia. They said, we're not going to kowtow to you, and they're not going to do it. So now what they're doing, since, since all but a couple of them— have not complied. Two of them did comply, uh, which so those would be two VPNs I wouldn't w would never use. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know which ones did uh, did apply. Uh, so the uh, so what it is there these guys these other ones that did not comply. Russia is going to start uh, blocking them, and so you know so at uh, so just get ready for that, you guys in Russia. <laughs> get ready in Russia. Get, re get ready for that, <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, guys. Yeah. Listen, hide your blank. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, the worldwide worm attacks are on the rise. For the past three weeks, security professionals have warned with increasing urgency that a recently patched vulnerability has the potential to trigger attacks that, we, that are as serious as as serious as when we had the WannaCry worm that paralyzed much of the world back in 2017. Members of the Microsoft Security Response Team practically begged organizations to patch their vulnerable machines without delay. Now, see, this is why it's so dangerous. It only takes one unpatched computer on a network to get into the corporate network. So they basically... I mean, that's probably how it happened in Baltimore, right? Yeah. Well, except uh, probably none of theirs were patched. Yeah, this, right. this is probably how it happened in Baltimore. Exactly. What happens is that they get into the system in one unpatched machine, and since that one unpatched machine has a security relationship with the other computers in the network, it's able to transfer the virus to other machines that have already been patched. Mm -hmm. So you could, you could patch 99 machines... The 100th machine is not patched. They get into the unpatched machine, and then they can get into the other 99 that were patched. So you've got to have 100% patching on all of your computers. And so 
not Petya, Pet, not Petya, which is regarded as the most expensive Walmart attack in history, used the Eternal Blue exploit, which was developed by and later stolen by NSA to exploit one or more vulnerable machines. So this exploit is using Eternal Blue, and and this was Eternal Blue was an exploit developed by NSA. And remember, somebody stole all the NSA bag of tricks and posted to the web, and so now what's happening is hackers are using the NSA bag of tricks to hack into unpatched machines. Now, this, this whole week is just all security, security, security. Yep. I'm telling you, there's an advanced backdoor pre-installed on Android devices. Now, criminals in 2017 managed to get an advanced backdoor pre-installed on Android, Android devices. Android. Android devices. Andrew's in the other room. It's an Android device. Yes. yes. They got pre-installed on Android devices before they left the factory. How? This is, this is Triada. The, the name of the, of the malware is Triada. It first came to light in 2016 in articles published by Kaspersky, an article which said this malware is one of the most advanced mobile Trojans that they had ever encountered. Once hmm. installed, Triada's chief purpose is to install apps that can be used to send spam and display ads. It employs a set of tools, including a routing exploit that gets at the highest level of security, uh, highest level of uh, authentication within the uh, within the device. It bypasses all security protections built into Android, and it even means that is able to modify the Android security system Zygote. This means that the malware could directly tamper with every installed app. They connected to more, no fewer than 17 command and control servers, which actually were giving them orders, and that's where they would download the files. Now, it turned out that Triada was built into the firmware of several Android devices, and it was uh, built into Lagu M5 Plus device, Lagu M8, Nomu S10, and Nomu S20. Now, it turns out, now, how did they get it there? This is the question. Yeah. It's in the supply chain because uh, Google sends out the Android operating system to manufacturers who want to, you know, you know, develop and sell an Android phone. But may, many of those manufacturers want to add features to it that are specific to them so they've got a competitive advantage. So they will frequently send the, 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 the disk image of the Android operating system to a developer who will then modify it to the specs of the manufacturer and then send it back to them. Well, it turned out that some of these developers, when they modified it to put in the features that the manufacturer wanted, they added in Triada in the back door. They added into the disk image. So they sent it back to the developer, and he just, you know, blindly loaded it on the iPhone. Didn't even know it was there. He didn't even know it was there, and bingo. So Google believes that the vendor, the developer that was uh, that was creating the back door is Yahoo or also Blazefire. Those are two names that came up. Now, this back door allows users to use the Google Play app, it, uh, and, and it, which means to use the Google Play app to download and install apps that are not approved by Google. And all of the connections to the command and control servers are fully encrypted. So this, why do we have this supply chain? It used to be that the Android phone had ways that you could actually hack it directly and you could basically root the device. You could go to the highest level of permissions in the phone itself. So then Google really tightened up the security in, in the Android system so they couldn't hack into the, into the Android phone. So what happened was the only way they could get access then to the Android phone was to disrupt the supply chain. 
Now, if you think about it, we've got a, right now probably 80% of the iPhones are manufactured in China. Yeah. So, you know, so this supply chain corruption is a big problem across so, the board. Let me get this straight. So somebody involved in the supply chain, somebody uh-huh. who had nefarious intentions, yeah. got themselves employed with somebody involved in the in the supply chain with the sole intention of corrupting That's right. And so then after the fact, then they know and then they can get into the phone. That's right. And so wow. this, this could even be on telecom equipment, routers. All, you know, this, this supply chain corruption is a huge security wow. issue. That is a big, 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 big problem. Mm. And uh, so uh, the surprising thing is that Google admitted this publicly that because they discovered it and they admitted it. And so I think that's the first step to clearing it up because Google does not control – uh, what these manufacturers put on their phone. They don't inspect it before it goes on the phone. But I think in the future, maybe they'll offer that service yeah. to the to the vendors. You're not, you remember the book uh, 1984 by George Orwell? Yes. It was it's like the machine state or the, the, the surveillance state was going to actually do everything. We're there. It, and it turned out that he was worried that British and U.S. societies would 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 basically give in to totalitarian dangers mm-hmm. as the state would become ever and ever encroaching on our, you know, on our privacy, and they would be surveilling everything. But George Orwell was wrong uh, to a certain degree. We do have a surveillance state, but it's not the state that's doing it. It's actually companies that are doing it. For 19 years, private companies have been practicing the unprecedented economic logic that Zuboff, he's the guy that, 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 that made these observations, they called it surveillance capitalism. They've hijacked the Internet and its digital technology. These are companies like Google, Facebook, and they're selling your data. This surveillance capitalism was invented in 2000 by Google, and this new economics covertly claims all of your private human experience as raw materials for translation into behavioral data. Some data is used to improve services, but the rest are turned into computational products that predict your behavior. These predictions are traded in a new futures market where surveillance capitalists sell certainty to businesses so that they can determine what you're going to do next or what you're going to buy next. Now, this logic first applied to online ads to attract our interest. But similar practices now reside in other... Oh, my goodness. We are really moving on. Listen, we love your email. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.